is the marriage study is tonight at the Raps house and the address is on there. We're going to be having lasagna, I think, but please bring, if you're coming, a salad, bread, drinks, or dessert to share with everyone. And we're going through The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, and I think we're on chapter three. So if you have a chance to read that before, that's great. But it's okay if you can't. And that starts at 5.30. And then next Sunday at 5 p.m. is the parenting study. And Dave and Linda Thomas, Karen's parents, um, are leading that. And pizza and salads provided, and as well as child care. And that's just at Malibu West down the street. And you don't have to be parents to come, um, future or current parents. And then this week, we're starting home group. This semester is just one home group on Wednesday at the Kellys. And it's going to start at 7, and it's dessert and discussion. Please look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do good conduct, but to do bad. Would not have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you today. I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit here, that you would dwell among us, Lord. Father, speak through Brian this morning, and um, please just open our hearts to receive your word and to receive your truth. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace and your faithfulness, and Lord, I pray that we can receive your truth with open hearts this morning. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. We are talking about... We're talking this morning about Romans chapter 13 and how our submission to human authority is an expression of our willingness to submit to God. Submission to human authority is an expression of our willingness to submit to God. Before we get into that, 
and we can all catch our breath on that. <clears throat> I know that um, this topic um, stirs up a whole lot of uh, thoughts and opinions and emotions. Um, and so the thing that will help us, guide us, give us some direction is understanding the context. And so we began a series in the fall called Creating a Culture of Gospel Transformation. And so we take everything in the context of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is a turning point in the book of Romans. Last week we talked about the summarization, really, of Romans 1 through 11. And we talked about the theme of justification. <clears throat> the theme of justification. And we explained it by saying that justification is the idea of a validating performance record that opens up doors for us. A performance record that opens up doors for us. And I just wanted to very briefly just touch on that again this morning to understand really what I believe to be one of the greatest needs in, in our church, our church specifically, and the church in general, is that people who come regularly to church genuinely need to understand the gospel, to understand what it means to be a believer, a follower of Christ. And the mistake we often make is the, the mistake of saying that we're trying really hard to be a Christian. And when we say that, we're trusting on our own performance record to earn acceptance by God. It happens often. Um, it, happens, it happens in everyday life. This morning, I... Uh, I went somewhere where I got teased. I got a, <laughs> I got a, I, I went to a, a health food store and got a drink. I had to, I had to try it. Um, a friend of mine used to always go there. And the funny thing was, this other person walked in. I, so I ordered my drink, and I'm waiting and waiting. And another person walks in who was much more attractive than I am. I, I think the person was a woman. I think she was someone that would be recognized uh, by the, the public. I'm not exactly sure who it was. But the funny thing was, she walked right in, immediately started talking to everybody, grabbed her drink, and walked out. And I thought, that's an ex another example of a validating performance record that opens doors. <laughs> Someone who's attractive, more attractive than me, knows everybody. Her drink was there waiting for her. So just about every area of our lives, and I, I want to back up and even say this, that in the real world, you must perform. You have to perform. You must get good grades if you want to get into a university. If you want a job, you'd better perform. Every year at my job, I get an evaluation. You must perform at your job. The problem with that is we carry that over to our spiritual lives. And I don't care how good you think you are, it is not enough. That's why we spent last time saying you need the righteousness of Christ. And you only receive that by his grace through faith. By grace through faith alone. And this morning, we want to expand on the idea that that is true, but that that faith will not be alone. That something will show up in your life. 
that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, will produce a faith that is not alone, that will be worked out. And so when we talk about creating a culture, the way it's worked out in our lives, Romans 12, 1, it says that my life is a living sacrifice and that I will renew my mind the way I think. And so this morning, we're talking about how our submission to God, if we do this, if we live our life as a living sacrifice, it will be expressed through our willingness to submit to human authority. If you know me and my personality, this is a, this is a tough one. I, and I, and, and I'll give you a couple of examples. I think it was two summers ago, the Kelly family and the Mulders went to the beach and driving home from the beach in my um, really truly amazing 1987 Forerunner, we all jumped in. And the way that, unfortunately, it's actually right there. <laughs> you can fit, so we had four adults and five kids driving home from the beach, sitting in the back of the truck. And I will clarify this by saying it wasn't on PCH. It was on a very neighborhood road where I was driving 15 miles an hour, just in case you think I'm completely foolish. <laughs> I, was driving, I was driving down the road with all the kids in the car, no seat belts, just cruising. And I was literally driving 10 or 15 miles an hour. And uh, I got pulled over by a park ranger. <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 you cannot pull me over. And I really wanted to like, just keep going. Like, a park ranger? <laughs> On my street where I live? No. And she pulled me over. And if I give you like the whole list, I think, and I can't remember, but I think, this is a couple years ago, I think I was on my phone. <laughs> I didn't have my driver's license. No seat belts for any of us. <laughs> Just about every law that I could have broken, I did. And then I proceeded, very clearly and articulately, I must say, to justify my behavior. <laughs> And it, but it was true. <laughs> See, here's my personality. It was true. <laughs> this sh okay, here's the honest truth. Like the sheriffs, like in the little neighborhood where I live, there's like kids driving golf carts, right? So they're pretty relaxed as long as you use common sense. So anyways, that was my self-justification. So anyways, this is extremely, extremely important. We can, talk, we can talk all we want about loving Jesus. We can talk all we want. But if it's not working itself out in our daily lives, we have a problem. We have a, a maturity problem. We are an immature body of believers. If we just say, yes, I love you, Jesus. Yes, I will be a living sacrifice for you. But only when I like it. Only when it fits me. Only when it fits my schedule. Only when it's convenient for me. And that's why this passage is so stirring and convicting and needed. Very briefly, the connection, because if you just read it, it feels like Paul's making this tremendous jump in his flow of thought. But just to be really, just to be clear and just be quick, if you look <clears throat> at the end of Romans 12, one of the key linking words is the word vengeance. And in the end of 12, the last few verses, Beginning in verse 19, Paul talks, he says this, 
Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And we'll talk about that concept, and he, Paul does in the reading in, in chapter 13, because that is the role of government. It is not your place. And here's where we just get this so messed up. We are not, we are not to be vigilantes. We love that concept. Men love that concept. Vigilante justice. You hurt me, I'm going to take care of business. The problem with it is that it's never justice. It's always one up. Men never, we, we, we think that we're pursuing justice, but we're not. We're pursuing one up. If you hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you back a little bit more. And so that's why Paul says, don't ever do that. That is never the place in the Christian life for vengeance. But without justice, without maintaining order, evil flourishes. I think I've mentioned this before, but for one of my seminary classes, I had to visit a state penitentiary. <clears throat> and I just have very clear memories of that. And it was it had the feeling of being on the verge of anarchy. And obviously there are rules and there is structure there. But you could see, you could get a taste of how valuable laws are, how valuable rules are. And maybe you've even traveled to parts of the world, had a couple of places where you had the sense. You could see how things are close to a tipping point. And you come back to the United States of America and you say, we are a country of laws. And you begin to understand the value of that. That God of the Bible is always a God of order, not of chaos. Not of chaos. And so, government has its place. Human authority has its place. This morning, we'll look at four aspects of it. We'll look at the command to submit to human authority the reason for it, the practice of it, and maybe our favorite part, the rebellion against it. The command to do it, the reason for it, the practice, and then the rebellion. So Paul writes, he begins by saying this, very easy, very clear in Romans 13, verse 1a, the very beginning. Let every person, let every believer be subject, be submissive, obey the governing authorities. That's, that's it. That's Paul's point. And this is just tremendously hard. The idea of submitting to human authority. We come up with all kinds of justifications, all kinds of reasons of why we don't like it. Um, I enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors, and there will be, this happens way too often, there will be places where it says, authorized vehicles only. Out in the middle of the woods, nowhere. And I'll, you know, I can look at my wife, and I'll be like, will you just authorize me, please? <laughs> authorized, go! <laughs> or, right, the other one is, I pay taxes, it's a federal sign. The federal government's not, I pay taxes, I'm authorizing myself if I'm by myself. <laughs> it can get ridiculous really fast. 
here's the, the idea is this. In the same way that adults are to be submissive to the governing authorities, kids are to be submissive and obedient to their parents. It's difficult. If you're a teenager, if you can recall being, uh, being a teenager, it's difficult. If you're 13, 14 years old, you wake up out of bed and by a parent saying, get out of bed. So first thing in the morning, parents are telling you what to do. You get to school, teachers are telling you what to do. You're on break, your lunch break. There is a person on the field telling you what to do. You go back to class, someone's telling you what to do. After school, you have a coach telling you what to do. You get home from school, a parent telling you to do homework. Your whole life is people telling you what to do. <laughs> and when we become adults, it changes a little bit. We have police, we have governing authorities, we have homeowners associations that we all love to obey with cheerful hearts. <laughs> we have state governments that all of us fishermen love to obey. We have federal laws that we write with a huge smile when we write our, our income tax check. We have authority over us all the time. The reason why this is so difficult, it goes back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Our hearts are naturally rebellious. First and foremost against God. That is the great human dilemma. It is our problem from the very beginning is we, we struggle submitting to God much less a human authority, much less a flawed human authority, much less laws that we don't agree with, that we don't like, that we justify. And that there's no, <laughs> there's no hiding in my own life just thinking through this and how realistic am I when we talk the talk and live it out about this idea of submission and how it's expressed and how it's lived out. It's extremely difficult. Let me give you one positive example. We could keep going on and on all the negative examples of how hard it is and how difficult it is um, and, and excuses and all kinds of things. And I will say this, that many of these principles here in the passage are straightforward, easy to understand that a sixth grader, a six-year-old can understand the concept, but applying it and living it out, very difficult. And there are times and places where it actually involves a discussion, where people's opinions need to be shared and thought, thought about and lived out. <clears throat> Let me give you one, um, here's a positive example that we came across that will be a little bit familiar to you. Um, I won't turn there this morning, but it is the the law, we can let me back up and say it this way. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Well, I guess there's two parts, right? There's the providence of God aspect, but then there is also the decree. There was a law sent out by Caesar that you must go to your birthplace. 
And so if we think through this for a second, and just think about Mary for a minute, we don't know exactly how far along she is, but she's pregnant. She's probably very pregnant. All right? Travel a great distance, miles and miles and miles, back to your birth town. The excuses could come up so quickly, right? We're poor. We don't have the money for this. We can't afford this. I'm pregnant. Why would we do this? It's hard. It's cold. It's dangerous. Excuse after excuse after excuse to say, you know what? I'm not going to follow this law. But there's something very mature, something very wise, something very obedient about Mary and Joseph and that story. That even though they could come up with all of these excuses, it's a very, very human example of obedience when we don't feel like it. And I can say this, I just know, I mean, we've had lots of babies in our church in the last year or so, and we've had three boys. When a woman is pregnant towards the end, I can't imagine if any of them saying, let's, let's go walk to San Diego, and that sounds fun, <laughs> right? You get a donkey part of the time. Donkey gets tired, you get a walk. But there was, there's something worth it for us just to think and pause for a moment about that, about the obedience there. So, the command is straightforward. Number one, every person be and be subject to the government authorities. Here's a, um, a follow-up to that. Verse 5 says this. We should do this. Verse 5 says, Therefore one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. God has absolute authority, but he gives government a role. The command is simple, it's straightforward. We have so many areas of our lives where we must be submissive to the governing authorities. Think about just for a second, the last example. Uh, 20 years ago or so when I used to build houses, the building inspector would come on the job, right? There was all kinds of tricks that builders would do and things and try to hide and be deceitful to not follow the rules. And I'm telling you that as we all go out and live our lives, that if we really, if we really want to be a sincere follower of Jesus, there will be a part of our heart where 99.9% .9 of the time we will be submissive and obedient to the authorities. Whether it's a teacher, whether it's a policeman or a building inspector, whether you've agreed to something with your homeowners, it is the place of the believer to be the best citizen, to be the model citizen as followers of Jesus. That's what we are called to do. All right, the reason. That's the command. The reason is this, is that God appoints human authority to function as his servant. So God creates he establishes human authority to function as his servant. Parents, you are to function as an authority for your children as God's servant. Policemen, teachers, principals, 
all of us really have different layers of authority. We are to function as God's servant. That is our role. And specifically here in this passage, the role of government then is to function as God's servant, number one, by punishing evil. It is not your place to punish evil. It is the role of the government to punish evil. That's what the text says. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists authority resists God and what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Why would you fear the one who is in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive his approval. The government exists to punish evil, to create a a culture, a society of safety. We truly want to live in a place of laws. And if you have any questions about that, ever think about that, there are lots of opportunities to go visit places. Like I said, a state penitentiary. And you'll, you'll come out and you'll think, thank God, thank God we are a country of laws. The role of government is to function by God's servant by holding people accountable to the law. Holding us accountable to the law. The other day I was driving home from school at a stoplight, really long stoplight, the PCH and Heathercliff stoplight, and was sitting there, and I heard my phone make a noise, so I just, I just looked at it. Thankfully, I was, in my <laughs> I was in my truck, which is higher than a police car. <laughs> I, I looked at my phone and put it down. Didn't do anything, just I'm being honest. <laughs> and then I looked to my right, and a cop, he was staring at me the whole time, I had no idea, and he just smiled at me. And like, like, you did the right thing. <laughs> and I smiled back and I just looked. But it was just this very, this very simple little thing. I'm holding you accountable. The law is there to keep everyone safe. All right? Right? We've, we know the dangers of texting and driving. People die. People die. And so the government said, we need to make a law to keep people safe. Sometimes accountability comes through a smile, which we would all prefer. Sometimes it comes through a ticket, which we would not prefer as much. (laughs) The role of government is to create a safe society. The role of government is to, number three, the role of government is to function as God's servant by creating and preserving, protecting justice. Preserving, protecting justice. I'll never forget the one time in my life when I was driving around L.A. when the National Guard was patrolling the streets. It was 1992. Probably a few of you. Who was living in Los Angeles in the 1990s? About 12 people at our church. (laughs) All right. You will recall that there were the L.A. riots. And I, would, I was in college, and this was a few days, probably three or four days afterwards, and um, it was a very bizarre feeling driving around downtown parts of L.A. with the National Guard, with machine guns, the smell of the city on fire. And it, it was a time of, of partial anarchy, 
of, of partial lawlessness. And so the government decides, I guess the governor at that time probably, decides we must send in the National Guard to protect people's lives, to protect justice, to protect the innocent from being hurt. The government is there, as much as at times we might not like it, the government is there to protect us, to protect justice, which is what we all want. All right? That's the reason. The practice, this even gets better. The practice of living out this obedience, Paul says specifically, look at verse 6, 13 verse 6. For because of this, because of the command and the reason the command is to obey the human authorities, the governing authorities, because the government functions as God's servant or human authority functions as God's servant, policemen are to function as God's servant, we are to pay our taxes. For because of this you pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, they are the servants of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We cannot, you cannot be a follower of Jesus and justify lying on your taxes. The Bible is clear on this, is that followers of Jesus are to be model citizens, that we are to live our lives with integrity, that the government should say that Christians, that believers at the gathering who gather together, pay their taxes, that we don't scam, we don't exaggerate, we don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't manipulate. And there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of little games we can all play to pay less taxes. The Bible says don't do that. Don't be that type of person. You are living your life as a living sacrifice to me. And you will express that by being a model citizen, by paying your taxes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says the same thing. This is where just this basic reality of life just hits the road. There's, no, just, there's just a black and white aspect to this. And I know that our hearts, because for whatever reason we can come up with, we don't like certain things. We don't like certain things. Listen, I guarantee you there are people here that don't like certain things about the president we have right now. I guarantee you there are people here that don't like the president before him, and the president before him, and the president before him. The Bible says, too bad. Pay your taxes. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you show respect to the president, whether you like him or not, to the governing officials. Think about this for a second. Who, who among us wants to run for Congress? Who wants that job? Very few. Nobody wants that job. Hardly anybody wants that job. They are functioning as God's servants. That's who they are. Whether you agree with their politics or not, God establishes human authority. 
The reality is that Christians must pay their taxes. Can I be any more clear? We all need, our, we need each other to help hold each other accountable in a genuine, honest, loving way on that. All right, so that is the command, the reason for the command, the practice, and the rebellion. All right? I'm going to quote R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians. He says this, Always obey human authority unless they command you to break something that God forbids. Always obey human authority unless they command you, unless the governing authorities command you to do something that God forbids. God is the ultimate human authority. God is the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. Not governments, not kings, not dictators, not government officials, not the police. God is the ultimate authority. And we always obey human authority unless they ask us or tell us to do something that, that God forbids. Further on, on R.C. Sproul, he says this, What is God's authority? The authority that God possesses is the eternal right to impose obligations on his people. God, has, God alone has the sole authority, the eternal right to impose upon us obligations. Psalms 100, here's the reason for that. Psalms 100 verse 3 says this, It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. So God is... God has the ultimate authority because creation comes from him. He is the owner. But he delegates human authority. Let me give you just a few examples, just biblical examples of when it is appropriate to disregard human authority. Okay? A couple of them are well known. Maybe a couple of them are less known. Before I do that, though, I, I wanted, I was going to share, and I just didn't finish enough of my reading, but I'm reading a book right now about, um, by Eric Metaxas by, about um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I just encourage you, if you, uh, um, if you enjoy reading, r read this book. It's, it's, it will be life-changing, all right? He obviously is a German pastor um, living in Germany, 20s, 30s, and eventually is... Um, put to death in a concentration camp for his beliefs. But he takes this topic of disregarding human authority to a very provocative, thoughtful place. Um, and so he even takes it to a place where he's part of a plot to uh, assassinate Hitler. Very, very thought-provoking. And there is a place, I do believe there is a place for discussion and interaction where we apply each specific truth that the Bible teaches to a, a historical context and how that actually works out. And Bonhoeffer did that um, often with people discussing that. And so his was a very unique situation, but not something that almost that we don't find in the Bible. So number one, here's just a few examples of where the rebellion against human authority exists in the Bible. Number one, Acts chapter 5. I'm going to turn there really quickly. Acts chapter 5. The context there is the preaching of God's word. 
And basically, Peter says that must we obey, we won't read it this morning, but must I obey you or God? Because the governing officials said, stop talking about Jesus. When the government tells us, stop preaching about Jesus, that goes directly contrary to what we are called to do. So there is a time and a place to disregard human authority. Acts chapter 5. Next, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2 is the story of Moses when all of the baby boys are being murdered. And his mother hides. He di Moses' mother disregards the human law that, that would have allowed her baby boy to be murdered. And she hides them. And that kind of fits a little bit more with the, the German 1930s, 1920s, 30s, 40s issue of hiding Jewish people to save their lives. Is there a biblical justification for that? Well, we could look at the life of uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed, where she hid her son to save his life. Daniel chapter 3, the more familiar ones, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, are commanded to, to bow down and worship. Uh, Daniel, in his prayer life, disregards human authority. Um, so there are more. That's just three. And there are actually just, there are several more places in the Bible where there is a disregard for human authority. But I will say this. Living in the country that we live in, the United States of America, it is just, it is a tremendous country in the sense of the personal freedoms we have. And we have to be careful about justifying little sin, little things that we don't like because it doesn't just fit us. You have to be very thoughtful and careful in how we handle this idea of rebelling against human authority because it fits our sinful desires, our, na our natural human instincts is we want to rebel against anybody and everybody that tells us what to do. It's in me and it's in you. And the Bible says that we are to obey governing authorities. <clears throat> I want to conclude with this. Matthew 18, excuse me, Matthew 28:18 says that Jesus speaks there and says that all authority resides in me. The ultimate authority for our lives and how we think about how we want to live out our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that while today we live in a country that is a democracy where we can speak and have a voice in the government, we need to be reminded that we are part of a monarchy or a theocracy where Jesus Christ is the king. He is the sovereign ruler. And that as people who profess to follow him, people who profess to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, we will know in our hearts that we are first living a life of submission to Jesus Christ, that he is our Lord and that we are his followers, and that that will be expressed, that will be lived out in our willingness to submit to human authority. Even when we don't like it, even when it's irritating and it's hard, it is maybe one of the best marks of identifying spiritual depth, spiritual growth in your life. 
that that little rebel within all of us is submitting itself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that is growing beyond the surface. We want to be able to pull back the outer layer that looks nice and say there's spiritual depth in our lives. That there is spiritual maturity happening. That there is growth happening. We will create a culture, a very unique culture here when we express our submission to Jesus by submitting and honoring the people who lead us and give us laws. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We pray that our hearts, our minds would come to an understanding of how you want us to live our lives. That at the core of who we are, we say to you, you are the Lord and King of our lives. And we want to follow you in every area of our lives. Father, I pray that we would, would be a church here this morning who are model citizens, who model and live out what it means to follow your son Jesus by being obedient to the laws of the land in which we live. I pray that for our family here this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.